from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Right, so I've got some good news and bad news for you. The good news is we've got Will Kane. We had an awesome discussion about a bunch of different things. Life, COVID, Joe Biden, Governor DeSantis's brilliant move of sending the illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard and then watching these frauds show themselves to be the frauds that they are. So awesome discussion, funny, lively, just a really amazing. I walked away being like, gosh, that was an awesome interview. Awesome interview with Will Kane, no less. He's a great guy. He's on Fox News. You know him. He's the co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend. Before that, he was at ESPN. He had a radio show there as well called The Will Kane Show, which makes sense because his name's Will Kane. Uh, and then before that, he was also on CNN for a little bit of time. God bless him for that. Right, that takes a lot of courage and also patience to be on a network like that. So he's an awesome guy. So it was an awesome conversation, amazing, really, really like one of the best. And then guess what happened? This is when the bad news kicks in. So somehow we had a technical glitch. The podcast system that we use to record everything it recorded what he had to say, but not what I had to say. Now, the good news is what he had to say was so good that we're keeping the interview. I didn't want to scrap it. I didn't want to can it. But I also wanted to be honest with you guys. I don't want to BS you. This whole point of this freaking podcast is being honest with you and just saying it how it is. So that's what happened. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you kind of a guided tour. You know, maybe uh, like Disney will approach me for some voiceover work after this or something. But uh, I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. Also, they're a terrible company. 
So I don't really wonder if we're, I mean, not like it's going to happen. But anyways, they suck. But so point being is I'm basically just going to try to walk you through this interview. It's still good. It's still worth listening to. Will Kane makes amazing points. The guy's awesome. So here's the interview with Will Kane. And I appreciate I was on your podcast recently, so I feel like we're doing a tag team here. <laughs> I love it. Yes, you were awesome on my podcast last week. I hope I can live up to the expectations and the example set this week. Oh, you will. Well, see, I was telling you on your podcast, what I really appreciate, I, I feel like there's so much cowardice in the media these days, and you are not, and you always say how you feel, and you're always honest about things. And I, I feel like there's just so much self-censorship that goes on and, and people are just afraid to say what is true. And I think in part of that is because what we see with big tech and all the censorship that goes on there, which is obviously coming from the White House, but we do it to ourselves or a lot of people in the media do it to themselves, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Self-censorship is the most insidious form of censorship. You know, um, I appreciate that compliment that I somehow don't do so or I go forth bravely. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you maybe where that comes from, but also ask you a question on the back end. You know, most of my career, Lisa, I have been not with an organization like Fox. I've been, I was at CNN for several years, and then I spent five years at ESPN. So I was constantly surrounded by people who disagreed with me. And I actually think on most of those occasions, my position was actually the one that was more mainstream, that was more popular. It was just quiet. And I saw so many people censor themselves, particularly at ESPN, because they were worried about the backlash on social media or this perception they wouldn't be liked. I just never worried about that. I'm like, you know, I don't know. Uh, this is what I think. And I actually think a lot of people agree with me. So I wanted to ask Will about... The point I made earlier about the fact that there's a lot of cowardice in media. Why is there so much group think? Why, why are people so afraid to speak their mind today? Listen to what he had to say. Yeah. So what we're looking at today is this convergence of like, it's, it, it, people are calling it whatever mass formation psychosis, right? Which is, I think, a fancy term for like overwhelming group think. And yeah, you're right. I mean, we're looking at a massive amount of overwhelming groupthink, which is supported by, you know, appeals to authority. Who are you to know? How do you know? Are you a doctor? Do you work for the CDC? Whatever it may be, right? It's just all designed to shut down any tor- uh, sort of independence. But yeah, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's, I, it, the main thing is, it's just asking you not to be a critical thinker. And that's not something I'm willing to do. So basically when I do these, I'm always looking up information about people trying to figure out, is there anything interesting about their background that people might not know? So one thing that I discovered when looking up information about, Will, one, I didn't know he was an attorney before this interview. And then secondly, he actually worked on a ranch in Montana after law school. Listen. Yeah, both of those things are true. I might be more proud of one than the other. You know, the 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 ranch experience on my resume is a better conversational topic at parties than is going to law school because everybody goes to law school, right? What is that? Um, you know, law school is like this default path in life for people that don't know what they want to do after college. But I actually, by the way, I really loved law school. I loved it. I feel like I learned more in three years at law school than I learned in four years of college. And the main thing I learned how to do is to organize my thoughts. And um, 
I, I don't know. I, and I went to law school at the University of Texas and I lived in Austin and it was a damn good time. And it's perfectly my style. It's perfectly my style as well, at, at least at UT Law, where it's like one test per class per semester. You're not going to be bogged down with busy work. That's good for me, you know, so I could have a really good time on 6th Street or 4th Street or wherever it was at that night in Austin. But for a month at the end of the semester, I had to buckle down the library and figure out exactly what this whole thing was about. Um, but the ranch, yeah, I lived in Montana after law school. I moved to Montana. I worked on a ranch. We were primarily a hunting outfitter. We had horses and mules and we booked trips for hunters that came in mostly from out of state to go hunt elk or uh, sheep, rams. Um, or moose, or whatever it may be, mostly elk and deer. And it was an awesome experience in my life. I mean, one of the, you know, whatever, when I'm, when I'm done with this life, it will be something I look back on and think, what a, what a year well spent. What's really sad is that I was telling him this epic story about how when I went to Jackson Hole with a couple of girlfriends, we hung out on a ranch. Uh, my, a friend of a friend knew some guys who owned the ranch, we ate elk, we had a campfire, and then also I was telling him about this epic game of cornhole that I was playing where it was like hours, you know, a couple hours, I think it was like maybe like three hours, it was like this epic game. I eventually won, and then we got into this whole conversation about if we're both competitive or not, which obviously I am, I grew up with three brothers, but to, to listen to what he had to say about that. I am competitive, but there's levels to this. I'll tell you, like I am, I've, I've always thought of myself and I am, I'm a competitive person. And, you know, um, I have two brothers. I had a, I have a best friend who's been my best friend since the age of one. And I mean, it's like, we were always together. And really what that was, was always on the verge of a fight because we were so competitive with one another. Um, so you kind of wonder where that comes from. My sons play soccer now. And like, they're, they're both competitive. My younger one, I've always thought of as like super competitive, but then the higher level he gets, I'm like, man, you know, the difference between you and the other boys and like, it's not skill. It's not ability. It's like, they will not accept any outcome, but a win. They will cheat. They will play through the game. Like it doesn't matter. The coach has to say, okay, game over. They literally will not stop until they win. I'm like, you're gonna have to find that buddy. So I think of myself as competitive, but there are levels to this. <laughs> I wanted to get Will's take about the 60 minutes interview with Joe Biden. Obviously, it's painful to have to sit through any interview listening to Joe Biden, uh, because he's an idiot. And he's old and senile. And he's also evil. But so I wanted to ask him if he had watched that. And I teed up this clip for him. And then I asked him if he had watched and got his reaction on the clip. You today think about it. It's all personal attacks. It's about motive. It's not about I disagree with you on the on the subject matter. And secondly, I think that um, it's I think it's fair to say that we've not had a president like the last president who has made all but so personal. I've had six Republican senators. I promised I'd never say their names, and I won't come up to me in the last two years and say, Joe, I agree with you, but if I, if I vote this way, it's gonna, they're going to primary, I'm going to lose an election. It didn't used to be that way, but it's coming back a little bit. This was the vice presidential candidate that said, they're going to put y'all back in chains. 
Remember that? He, I don't know yeah. if this was when he was vice presidential candidate under Barack Obama. <laughs> Mitt Romney, of all people, was running against him. And he was speaking to, I don't remember which black organization, but he you know, put on his, his fake black accent, which is, how, how do you get away with that? I don't even understand how you get away with that. And then said, they're going to put y'all back in chains. Like ev- everything he has done, let me make three points. One. Everything he has done has been to vilify his opponents. This is the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Our patience is running out with you. You are actually endangering the lives of your neighbors. We're now dealing with semi-fascists. We're dealing with threats to democracy. Every point he has made, every position he has stood firm on has been to vilify his opponent as a person, not an idea or a platform. Two, I, I hate this idea, like Scott Pelley is sitting there talking to him about, you know, the way it used to be. And, and there's this vein of acceptability, right? And for some reason, democratic policies and democratic politicians get to commandeer what is popularly accepted to be the middle. No matter what they do, they are kind of in the middle. Outside of the AOCs of the world, right, they're in the middle. And then Republicans who oppose that middle, well, they're radical. It doesn't matter where the sentiment of the country is. It doesn't matter where you polled people on an issue. He is, he is the acceptable, moderate middle of American politics. Like, how is that? Why? Why does he get to, to hold that space? And then third, this is tied into that conversation we just had, that space is increasingly commandeered by you know, radical thought, like what became mass formation psychosis or acceptable groupthink became get your kid vaxxed regardless of the risk reward ratio or analysis. Don't ask questions. Just accept authority. And or now it's whatever, like don't question your kid's choice and use in pronouns or even take him to the doctor and begin to start hormone blockers. That ground of acceptability is increasingly radical. So I don't even understand why we're sitting here today and Joe Biden gets to comment on what moderation is. Another part from Joe Biden's interview is he said that the pandemic is over, uh, which is probably news to the military heroes who were kicked out because they didn't want to get the vaccine. News to people who are still being punished and are still fighting for their jobs employees across America for a vaccine that doesn't stop the spread for a virus and a pandemic that is allegedly over, according to Joe Biden. So I wanted to ask, Will, has any of this ever actually been about a pandemic in the first place? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think they've answered their question with none. We're approaching a midterm election. It's more advantageous to declare victory, to declare the pandemic is over. Two weeks ago, Joe Biden against all science, was wearing a mask outdoors two weeks ago while getting off his helicopter. At the same time, as you point out, there are policies in place that people are losing their jobs. Military, teachers, they're right now losing their jobs because their choice and not, uh, what do we do? I don't even know what it means to be vaccinated. I don't, I don't know what that means. So, I mean, literally, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so, I, they they haven't gotten their updated booster, the latest issue of the booster. I don't know, but they're losing their jobs and he's declaring the pandemic is over. Um, that's man. What, what a, what a, you know, epidemic that you launched on people's lives of depression and unemployment and purposelessness in order to achieve political ends. And I pointed out that it's infuriating that no one's being punished 
that there's no retribution, that the people who have suffered so greatly at the hands of people like Dr. Fauci, when are they going to get what's due to them? When are they going to get answers? And, and when are the people who made them suffer going to punish, to be punished? You know, the lockdowns didn't work. The vaccines didn't work. None of the promises these people made came to fruition. They were wrong about everything. Yet people's lives were destroyed. Their businesses were destroyed. People killed themselves. We had suicides, overdoses, delayed care. We still don't know the full effect of all of these policies on people's lives. And still suffering, right? Like inflation is still out of control because in part because of broken supply chains and then because of exorbitant government spending. So inflation is still ravaging people's pocketbooks. Uh, people are still losing their jobs. And over the long term, um, we will see what the cost was of forcing people who did not need to to get vaccinated. We don't know the long term effects. We'll find out. We're starting to get data. But um There'll never be an accounting to that. You know, if we ever see that, that, you know, I think you and I talked about this last week on the Will Kane podcast, but, you know, Fauci in the 19, what was it, late 1980s, early 1990s says, oh, you know, a vaccine for AIDS. I don't know, because we don't know what the long term effects are over five years, over 10 years, over 20 years. He shows none of those same concerns over a COVID vaccine. So over five years and 10 years and 20 years, we'll see that ongoing cost as well of these policies. So I love this response from Will. I, I wanted to get his take on Governor DeSantis' brilliant move by sending the 50 illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, which really exploited these frauds for the frauds that they are and these so-called sanctuary cities not wanting to provide sanctuary. Listen. A lesson in compassion. My 44 hours with my Venezuelan loves. Te amo. I, I can't get enough of this story. I mean, this story is everything to me. Uh, I'm by, by saying te amo, I'm referencing this particular video. And it's, I love this video so much, Lisa. I hope you've seen it. But it's these ladies. It's all in the video. I think it's almost all ladies. But these ladies um, gathered around as the Venezuelan illegal immigrants load up on buses to be shipped off of Martha's Vineyard. And these ladies are in their fashionable hats and their side ponytails and given double hand waves. And, and from the back, one of the ladies yells, te amo, you know, <laughs> which is Spanish. I love you. Um, you know, as we invoke the National Guard to ship you off of our island, we love you. But you got to go. Let's take a quick commercial break. Back with Will Kane on the other side. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. So I don't know if you guys saw this headline from CNN about this 44-hour visit that the illegal immigrants were allowed to have in Martha's Vineyard, but this is the headline. It says, they enriched us. Migrants' 44-hour visit leaves indelible mark on Martha's Vineyard. Obviously, it's an epic headline. Hilarious. CNN's trying to make it seem like, you know, these people were, were nice. Oh, let me do this again. So I don't know if you guys saw this CNN headline, but it says this. They enriched us. Migrants' 44-hour visit leaves indelible mark on Martha's vineyard. It starts off saying, after sharing hugs and teary goodbyes with roughly 50 migrants who had arrived unexpectedly by plane on this affluent vacation island, the volunteers who sheltered them at an Episcopal church carried out tables and chairs packed food onto trucks and folded portable cots. So it continues to go in painting all the people in Martha's Vineyard with a, in a great light, despite the fact that they literally said they're a sanctuary city and then shipped these people right off to the military base and got rid of them as fast as they could. So I thought this headline was epic and hilarious. So obviously I had to ask him about it. It's just so amazing. They can teach us all a lesson in compassion, can the rich denizens of Martha's Vineyard. Hey, and this, this thing is so layered and deep. And I think Tucker's did an amazing job last week laying this out. But in the end, we want to mock them and we should mock them because they're shallow frauds. They're virtue signaling frauds. However, they're not wrong to ship the Venezuelan illegal immigrants off of Martha's Vineyard at the end of their 44-hour stay. Um, they're not wrong to say this is our community and this is the vision of our community. The problem is, why do they not extend that same right and privilege to America? Why do they not extend that same right and privilege to Brownsville and Del Rio and El Paso? We don't have the services. We don't have the infrastructure in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, well, neither does Del Rio. 
And just because Del Rio is more middle class or Del Rio is, oh my gosh, are we revealing some racism here? Del Rio is 90% Latino itself. It's more acceptable for you to ship them back to Texas. You know, I guess in, in the days of Marie Antoinette, it was let them eat cake. And in 2022, in the days of Martha's Vineyard, it's let them live in El Paso. I, I don't, I, I just let America have the same rights that you do in Martha's Vineyard. So Governor Ron DeSantis is obviously the best. I'm a Floridian, so I'm biased, but he is America's governor. So I just asked him what he thought more broadly about this brilliant move from Governor DeSantis. Really well played. He didn't just send them to a rich enclave. He sent them to a rich enclave that's literally surrounded by water. So it has its own version of a border wall. It has an off season where 55% of the homes remain vacant. So you don't really have a housing crisis, at least for the winter. These Venezuelans could have wintered on Martha's Vineyard. Um, But okay, genius. And I'm a big fan as well of Martha's Vineyard. I mean, uh, Ron DeSantis. Um, I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. Um, But we have to solve this problem. Okay. And so he's done a great job of spotlighting the issue of exhibiting the hypocrisies. But we also have to ask our own Republican politicians to do everything in their own power to solve this problem. And that leads us to a conversation. This happened on Fox and Friends this weekend. We had the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, on. And, you know, there is a school of thought out there that these states and these governors can declare under constitutional authority an invasion. And if that's the case, they can remove illegal immigrants, not across state lines to the likes of New York, Chicago, D.C. or Martha's Vineyard, but they can remove them back to their place of origin, back to Mexico. Now, it would it would domino a whole host of problems, Lisa, a constitutional crisis, maybe even federal law enforcement and local law enforcement squaring off against one another. But if we're serious about solving this issue, and we know that the Biden administration, Democrats will not, they will not solve it. Thus, you know, handcuffing what we can do federally, we're going to have to ask our state politicians to do everything under their power. So we've got people coming in from around the world because we have an open border. So why wouldn't they? We're not even a sovereign nation anymore. We have no idea who we're letting in. We brought a bunch of Afghans in too that we didn't thoroughly vet. So how what risk to a terror threat are we as a country? And also, if you saw the article in Breitbart recently, apparently Maduro in Venezuela is letting out prisoners and having them come to the United States. Well, we've already seen that. Well, for sure, we've already seen increased criminal activity. And that's terrifying. I saw that article as well, where Maduro's emptying the prisons and saying head north. Um, and we've seen the Venezuelans can make their way into the country, as can everybody, as could, you know, terrorists from Iran. It, you know, it's it's a wide open border. It's not hard to cross. And then it's not hard to stay. I don't remember the latest numbers on how many known terrorists, on people on the terror watch list have been encountered. I think it's 50 to 60, somewhere in that range in the last fiscal year. And so we know this is a massive threat to our security. Um, and clearly Maduro intends to make it a, a bigger threat. to our security. It's inevitable to your question. It is inevitable at some point that we will have a terrorist attack because of the the uh, lack of enforcement of our southern border. And now, of course, there's criminal investigations that are being launched into what Governor DeSantis did. You have some clown uh, in Texas, some local sheriff there, launching a criminal investigation into what Governor DeSantis did. You've got people like Gavin Newsom calling for the feds 
to investigate. But I guess it wasn't human trafficking when it wasn't kidnapping when Joe Biden was loading these people up on planes and dropping them off in the middle of the night in Florida. I guess it wasn't kidnapping when Lori Lightfoot put them on buses and sent them to the next neighborhood over. But it is when Governor Ron DeSantis does it. Well, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, if they go after DeSantis, then you you have to go over the after the Republican governor of Massachusetts, who used the National Guard, right, to ship them from Martha's Vineyard to Cape Cod. Wouldn't that be human trafficking or kidnapping or, as you pointed out, Lori Lightfoot moving illegal immigrants from one neighborhood to another? Or the Democratic mayor of El Paso, who sent something like 50 buses to to New York and D.C. and Chicago. This is so. what that reveals, though. It's also like they don't even focus on Greg Abbott, actually. They're focused only on Ron DeSantis, which just shows, again, it's all about politics, taking him down because he's clearly the outside of Donald Trump, the front runner for the Republican nominee for president. I mean, if 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 that weren't the motivation, they would focus more on Greg Abbott. But they're not because it's about politics. You know, there's another thing. There's another part of this that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, talk about, I guess, being brave to have a conversation no one's willing to talk about. But um, it's not just a threat to our national security. It's a threat. It's an existential threat to the United States of America in this way. You have unfettered flow of people from across the world who we extend all empathy and understanding to their personal plight, bring with them the culture of where they come from, where they come. And there's a new book coming out. I just saw this about this. Um, I forget. It's, I'm forgetting the name of the book off the top of my head. It comes out in November. But the premise is that generations of, of immigration reveal that people retain their culture of origin as opposed to assimilation and adoption of the cult culture of their new home. Okay, so America's a melting pot or whatever we are by design. And the idea behind that is that we take the best of all cultures from immigrants. And then we're the sorting mechanism that makes the super strong culture by taking the best of everybody. But that is from the from its inception, that has been a calculation that we've had immigration quotas. We have a legal process, all of that, because, yes, we want to we have a limited set of resources and we can only accommodate so many at one time, but also because. And people, this is what people don't want to accept. There is an American culture. We have a culture, a work ethic, um, a Judeo-Christian culture. We have all kinds of cultural traits embedded into what it means to be an American. Risk tolerance, entrepreneurialism. And that has led us to being the dominant culture on the planet. It's the one that puts a man on the moon. And, and that culture deserves to be not just respected, but to be retained. And when you have unfettered illegal immigration, two million encounters in this fiscal year, and that's, again, known encounters, what you do is you fundamentally change the culture of America. And somehow that's that's come off as, that comes off as xenophobic or jingoistic or, God forbid, racist, you know, the ultimate cudgel to shut down this conversation. But every culture is allowed to have pride in its own its own way of life. Everyone is. The French, you know, the Irish, um, the Jamaican culture. Everyone is allowed to have that conversation except for America. Like, we don't have a culture. And if we do, it's somehow supremacist or, or wrong. We have a culture and we have to retain it. It happens to be the most successful culture on the planet. 
I wanted to play this clip from the interview I did that hopefully you guys listened to with Maximo Alvarez about communism being in America. So I asked Will, I played the clip for Will, and then I wanted to hear what he had to think of, you know, how do you how do you see this? You know, should we listen to these people like Maximo who escaped communist Cuba when he's warning us that communism is here? and it has infiltrated all our institutions, shouldn't we listen? We have a dictatorship, and it's right in our eyes, and people don't realize what is happening. Wake up, America. I'm telling you this because I saw it with my eyes. I saw how people were getting murdered just simply because they didn't smile at the regime. I saw how people get accused of being contra-revolutionaries just because they said something against the revolution. It's happening here. These guys are telling you that we're the enemy because we are against freedom just because we don't agree with their policies. They're stupid policies, by the way. Yeah, I think we should listen as well. You know, I've always had this, I've had this debate internally, Lisa, and I've had this conversation with friends, like how much of what's happening in America is coordinated. So you say, I think we're being overtaken with communism. And then I say, okay, how many of the people that are driving this cultural and administrative and governmental shift in our country um, overtly buy into Marxism, have read the Communist Manifesto, are truly adherents to communism? And I don't know the answer to that question. I think that there's sort of an autopilot of American culture and American governance. The In governance, that autopilot is the administrative state. I think it scares me more than any particular politician. You know, it even scares me more than any particular political party. It's what remains when elections are won and lost. It's the FBI, the DOJ. It's that level of bureaucracy in every organization, the CDC, the NIH, that really is the culture of American governance. They they drive us in one direction. And it's always in the direction of self-empowerment, self-justification, self-empowerment. And then I think culturally, we have found ourselves, popular culture, in a place where people are more entitled, um, you know, more victimized, less responsible. And that lends itself to sort of this cultural communism. If you have one group of people that have self-justification for power and you have another group of people who want to abrogate their own responsibility, you have a perfect cocktail for a society that resembles communism, whether or not it's there overtly or not. And so I think you end up in the same place to answer my internal debate. Like, is it a coordinated campaign? And by the way, I'm not saying it's not a coordinated campaign because when I see government and big tech collude to censor, or I see the role of the Communist Chinese Party at every levels of American society, I think there are definitely elements of coordination. But I'm not sure there's one particular ideology or one particular man behind the curtain. I'm more concerned that our entire machine is on autopilot in this direction that resembles communism. Robert Cahali with the Trafalgar Group has been bringing attention to this new group of voters called submerged voters, uh, people who aren't putting stickers on their cars, signs in their yards, posting their opinions online, or even answering polls, and that this election is going to be a hard one to capture because of all this. So how does Will think the midterm elections are going to go down? I think Republicans are still going to win. I think they're going to win strongly in November, despite the fact that polls show that the whole thing is tightening up. And I guess most people attribute that tightening up to the Dobbs decision 
and to the focus on Donald Trump, as opposed to inflation and rising crime and illegal immigration. But I still think, despite all that, Republicans are going to win and win big in November. Will people tell the truth? Are people afraid? Have they been, has, has the conversation been painted as you're either, you know, in this mainstream school of thought which lends itself to democratic politics or you're semi-fascist? And so have they accepted that's the paradigm they have to be quiet um, so they're not painted as a semi-fascist? Maybe. I think people have. I think people, there's still a dominant, that there's still a dominant narrative that where we started this conversation that allows the Scott Pellys of the world to pretend that Joe Biden is in that dominant, you know, channel of the river. Um, what's, here's what I would ask you. What's extreme about current Republicanism that what's extreme about Trumpism? What's extreme about the new right? I think that's an interesting question because I can't think of a single thing, you know, Joe Biden's going to say they're semi-fascist or threats to democracy. I would like to know. Because in, if I look at what the Republican Party has done under the influence of Donald Trump, I think it's moderated, like moderated greatly. It's positioned back towards the center on free trade, less libertarian, you know, far, far, you know, spectrum thought on unfettered free trade, rising tide lifts all boats. Now more a greater concern for populism in the middle class and the jobs of the middle class. Obviously, when it comes to China, understanding that that's not a a free trade game. So moving, moving, I think on gay marriage, for example, I don't know where it stands today, but over the last 10 years, certainly moderated. Donald Trump was pretty moderate on that. So I just keep like immigration. Well, I don't know. That wasn't an extreme position to say, well, we ought to have borders and enforce those borders. That didn't used to be extreme. I'm just trying to figure out what's actually extreme that's being described as extreme. If you want to say election denial, if that's what the answer ends up being, well, when you're fed, you know, five years worth of fake stories, you get to the end of the book and you're like, should I believe the last chapter too? You know, I just don't know. I don't know what is extreme. Um, it seems like it's actually more independent and moderate than it's ever been. Before Will came to Fox and Friends, he worked at ESPN. He was probably, you know, one of the lone conservative voices at the network. What was that like? Well, I loved it, actually. Um, I mean, it was it all great. But I, you know, you know, so I remember when Fox News was founded, there was this quote. It was by George Will, who I don't think likes Fox News now. But George Will um, said Roger Ailes found a wonderful niche when he founded Fox News half of America, which is a, an, a wonderful niche, right? I was sitting there at ESPN going, so let me get this straight. You guys are all adopting these radical positions and, and opinions and, and saying them as though the country agrees with you on this. And you're just going to let me have all the rest of it? Like by myself, I get to say same things and rational things and have this lane by myself. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but I mean, Look, Lisa, I like debating people that disagree with me. I like hearing their points of view. I like having relationships that are not strictly defined by politics. I don't I don't I don't require that all of my personal relationships share my political opinions. And sports was a great a great vehicle from which people could come together and have a relationship. So in other words, you know, whoever it may be, you know, Marcus Spears, he played for the Cowboys for a while and he was a commentator at ESPN. I mean, I, it's very clear he disagrees with me on almost everything. But at the time I was there, that didn't stop us from then transitioning into like guy talk and sports talk and have a great time 
and have a great relationship. I think life should be like that. I think politics should only be part of who you are. Um, and I got to have those conversations on a consistent basis. Now, I will tell you, there are, I'm sure you know this, that the left, the, the people that have the opinions of those on the left don't agree with what I just said. They do not think that I can have my opinions and remain a good person, right? And therefore, you can't socialize with Will, you can't be around Will. And there was some of that at ESPN, like I would walk the hallways and I, and I don't want to be unfair. I, I made some guesses at the time about who might harbor those thoughts, but I certainly felt it to some degree. Like there was some sentiment there of like, eh, there's that guy, you know, but for the people that I would, conf- you know, interact with face to face, I loved it. I loved the opportunity to go on first take and debate Stephen A. Smith and whatever else. Um, yeah, for the most part, I, I loved it. Quick break back with Will Kane. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. There's a lot happening these days. 
but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. So I've been finding myself having a hard time with being around Democrats, of being accepting of Democrats. I've never used to be like this. This really only happened recently in part because I just don't know how anyone can listen to Joe Biden label 75 million people patriotic Americans as enemies of the state. I mean, if you're a Democrat and you have family members or friends who are Trump supporters, how, how can you still support this guy? How can you sit by and sit back and think that what's going on in the country is okay. So I wanted to get Will's take about, you know, what do you, what do you think of that? Or, 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 you know, are you having trouble with this or or how do you reconcile it? Or or how do you, you know, how do you kind of take a break from all this? You know, I lived in New York for 15 years. I'm I'm back in Texas where I was born and raised. And I, I love so many of my New York friends. I think almost not all of them, but the vast majority of them disagreed with me. Um, one of the things that you have to like, it's, it's tough because I do think there is a sentiment within liberalism of personal judgment. And so you sit there and you go, well, how you're always assuming the worst of me. How can we be friends? You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like, are you questioning whatever your current thing is phobic of something, you know, racist, um, homophobic, transphobic, whatever. It's like, there's this undercurrent sometimes of like, you know, you're not saying it out loud, but I feel like you're privately judging. And that's not, that sucks to like, like always be around to feel like, you know, someone's not trusting who you are. They just happen to disagree with you. And I'm not saying my friends all did that, but I do think that's a common thing in, in that type of, you know, to live in that type of place. And then you add on top of it, this whole thing about your own personal health choices, right? And it, it, it becomes pretty untenable. But I do want to try my best. I want to always have friends. I just, I don't want that to be my primary sorting mechanism for my friendships. I just, I don't want that to be. If, if I don't know. I don't want politics. It's very important to me, like, especially culturally. Like, who are we? Who are Americans? What's it mean to be a man? I'm raising two sons. All of these things, very important to me. I don't want that to become, personally for me, well, you have to vote this way, or if you vote that way, then I can't explore those other aspects of you and what it means to be friends and share values. So I was telling Will this story about how when I was in New York, I went to this restaurant outside and I wasn't wearing a mask because I'm not a crazy person and masks don't work and they certainly don't work outside, nor is COVID really spread outside. So I walk up to this restaurant, not wearing a mask. The hostess said, you have to wear your mask. And I was like, well, these people eating outside aren't wearing masks. And she was like, well, they're eating. To which I responded, you know, just so we're clear, you know, that COVID (laughs) like doesn't differentiate between, oh, you're eating, you're cool, but you're standing, I'm going to get you. And I I finally like wore it just because she was asking me like, please, it's my job. So I didn't want to, you know, get her in trouble or whatever. So I finally put on, but I was like, but just so we're clear, we know that this is all BS. And I was also telling him a story about another dude in my building 
who always yells at everyone who doesn't wear a mask, which is most of the people that live here because we live in Florida. And again, we're not crazy. We're free. And this guy's always yelling at everyone. So I just turned to him one day and I said, you know what? Do you believe in the efficacy of masks? And he goes, oh, of course I do. That's why I wear one. To which I responded, then you should be fine. Leave us alone. Little victory. Um, you know, I will say we're, we're, it'll be interesting now that Joe Biden said the pandemic is over, but we're clearly like, this is the end of the zombie movie and there's not many zombies left on the street. Like there people are waking up or at least they're going back to some extent to their normal life. But because I travel so much at the airports or on the airplane or on the streets of New York, there are still people right walking around outside with, with masks on. And I want, the one that always blows my mind is with like cloth masks on. I'm like, what happened to you? Like that, you didn't, like every step of the way, you didn't get the memos, right? So you're like in, you're like in April, 2020. What are you doing with that cloth mask on? But what I'm really shocked by is sometimes it kind of feels often they're young, they're healthy. Like I've seen some, for example, some dudes that clearly work out and you're in good shape and you're in your thirties, maybe early thirties. And I'm like, why are you wearing that mask? Like what? Now, and sometimes I think to myself, maybe they have a really serious health condition I'm not aware of. But more likely than not, where they are unhealthy at this point is in their minds. And so you're looking at the, back to what we were talking about earlier, like the cost of all of this nonsense. You're looking at a lot of people who have really poisoned and, and lost their minds. So my mom always tells me that you don't always have to say everything you think. Yet I still do it. <laughs> but so I, I was telling Will about that and then just also asked him, you know, he's a father. What's your favorite thing about being a dad? Okay, I'm going to answer that question, but I think that. Uh, so I'm a big believer that your greatest strength is your greatest weakness, right? So you just said that for yourself in your career. Like you, you don't have to say every thought that comes to your mind, right? So it's, it's your strength. It's also your weakness, right? So like, I, I think every part of our personalities can be explained that way. So probably the same with fatherhood for me. I don't know. I, I just, I love the process of helping these two young boys become men. I, I just love it. Like, and that's a little selfish because it's like, well, your your favorite part of fatherhood is like joysticking them, like teaching them lessons, giving them sermons, which I do way too much, Lisa, way too much. And I focus way too much on sports. Not because I think they're going to be professional athletes or division one athletes or collegiate athletes, but because it's the perfect metaphor and vehicle to help them travel the path of what it is to be a man. And I just love it. This, this one of my sons, he had a great weekend. You know, I think it's cool. I, I'm a little hesitant to share family stuff. I'm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right amount is, but my, one of my sons had a, had a great weekend. Like he asked a girl to homecoming and he went to her house, he went to her house and you know, and he had to, it's almost now they do at least like a marriage proposal. It's insane. At least in Texas, you know, it's insane. Um, and he had a great sports weekend where it's just kind of like he woke up in so many ways and he saw the field and he played amazing. And, um, I don't care if he's the best player on the field. I don't care in the end, if he starts, I don't care what team he's on, but to see him like become what I know he can become is just my favorite part of fatherhood. And I love being with them on that process, like going to, pra I'm going to go to practice tonight. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, Cause I'm in 
New York every weekend. I don't get to see games, but I'll go to practice and we'll talk about it on the way home. And then, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's my favorite thing. I don't know. It's in, and it's better than anything, to be honest. It's better than professional sports. It's not just the best thing about fatherhood. For me, it's the best thing about life right now, which, you know, I should probably put some other priorities above that. It's so fulfilling and it's just so important. It's fulfilling on an individual level and so important on a societal level. I don't know. I mean, I need to work on, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be open with you. You know, I, I could be a more attentive and, and, um, devoted, not devoted, I'm devoted, but doting, um, husband. I could definitely be better at that. You know, I could definitely work on my relationship with God, which is a, a path that I, I mean, I've openly talked about this, like, you know, I would never pretend to be a person who has the ability to sermonize to other people. Cause I'm on, I'm working on it myself. Right. But there are things that I should give more focus to, but the parenting thing, like, and I'm not, again, not that I'm doing it. Like I'm not batting a thousand on this thing <laughs> well below, but I certainly love every opportunity at the, at the plate of parenting. And of course, to Will's point, you know, we can all work on things that we could do better. I was joking around with him that, you know, I could do like an hour long confessional podcast about the the things I need to work on in my life and, and how to be a better person and all of that. But uh, and then we said goodbye, as one does when they end a podcast. Thank you, Lisa. that you guys didn't get to hear the live discussion the back and forth between us it was so much fun he's such a great guy but you know life happens things happen and technology can suck sometimes so it is what it is but i want to thank you guys for listening and we'll have him back on in a couple months from now and hopefully no technical glitches then so you can kind of get the full interview but until then, Monday and Thursday, every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. Uh, please leave us a review. Rate us five stars on Apple. Always love hearing what you have to say. I want to thank John Cassio for putting this together, and thanks so much for listening. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? 
but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.